strayed from God. They strayed because they weren't hearing from God. They weren't being directed and called by God in what they were doing. They turned away from God. Their passion, their foundation was not God. It was not their motive. And if you remember when we read verse 5 where it said, and this is a contrast, this is the godly example contrasting to those who are straying. It says, but the purpose of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now also what was happening um, towards the end of last week, talked briefly or mentioned it, was that there were those in the Ephesus church who wanted to and therefore were, and then they wanted to, indicates that they were choosing. It was their own volition, their own initiative. They weren't seeking God in it. They weren't led by godly men or women or anything like that to, and encouraged to do it. It was their choice from the wrong position to want to stand up, to speak up, out of turn and misguide people in what they were saying. And one of the areas where they were doing this was the law. And that's where we pick up today. We're going to continue today in First Timothy and we're going to read from verses 6 to 11. Then we're going to turn to Romans chapter 7 and a few other verses through Romans. Because the thing about the Word of God, not, there's no topic, there's not just one place you, where you will find the full revealed counsel of God on a matter. If you want to understand and grasp what is going on, you need to seek a search to seek God's understanding, God's truth. So that's the thing. When we open up one book, one part of God's word, we'll need to go to another to gain more understanding. And one of the examples, as I just said, is we're going to use is from Romans. There's a great lot of explanation there. Because as we go back, we will, and as we think about the time of Christ, as we think about the early church, it was very common for the religious leaders from the people who, whether they're proselytes or they were Jewish people of the time, to get caught up in the law and think they had to keep on doing and doing. But they were missing the heart of what the law was about. So we're going to read verses 6 to 11 in First Timothy, and hopefully it will come clearer to you as we go through. So First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. For some men... Straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussions, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realising the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and the sinners." for the unholy and profane, for those who kill or slay their mother or father, for, the, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So as we go through here, and as you remember, as you've read through yourself and as you've listened, over the last couple of weeks, consider the contrast here between the two groups, those who are led of God, those who are acting faithfully and honourably for God, and those who weren't. 
And so before we go into Romans, I just want to do a little bit of a recap and contrast of what was actually happening here. The difference. Paul, he had been called according to the commandment of God in verse 1. In verse 7, it talks about there were those who were wanting to be teachers and were acting according to their own will, their own choice, standing up, speaking, or in groups were speaking. Verse 8, on a different point, but we, and it's talking about Paul and Timothy, we know that the law is good. And verse 11, the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. They knew the truth because they'd been given it and entrusted it with it by God. But if you go back to verse 7, it says, wanting to be teachers even though they don't understand. So you had those who are led of God, had a relationship with God and God was their passion, God was their focus and you had those who were in the Ephesus church who weren't. They didn't understand what the law was about. They still thought it was all about the law. There were those who were caught up in myths, genealogies. They were getting caught up in things and passion and distractions that were not of God. They weren't what God wanted them to be on about and so that was why Timothy was there. So let's turn now and we're going to spend about 10 to 15 minutes looking at the law. We're going to read Romans chapter 7, verse 6. So Romans chapter 7 and verse 6 through to verse 14. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that, excuse me, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have you come to know, oh, sorry, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to, re to, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through, it and through it killed me. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin by effecting my death through that which is good so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into the bondage of sin. Now, if that's your first time in a while reading that, it's a bit mind-boggling, isn't it? Some of what he said there, he doesn't say directly in plain English. It's how we might say it today. So we're going to take time, we're going to go through that, by looking at other verses in Romans. So the law. 
the phrase the law. What are we talking about when we reference it? When we read it in scripture, what is the law? What is it on about? When we read in 1 Timothy about those who are misusing the law, trying to teach it and misguided in it, what is it about? What was happening there? Generally speaking, or a more common use of the phrase the law refers to the Mosaic Covenant, the Mosaic Law. It's the time of when the covenant was given in the desert between God and his people. When they agreed to be his people, he gave it through Moses so that they would have a knowledge of right and wrong, so they would have a way to approach God in an acceptable way, so that they would have a way to live as a community, as a nation. Sometimes, though, a bit like that passage we just read in Romans, and when we look at Leviticus, when we look directly and start to read through directly through the law, sometimes it's, if it's the first, second or third time, it might get a bit too much about, you know, we've got to give these two, two turtle doves or, we, or there's a scapegoat talked about now and why is it just a perfect male lamb? What's going on here? And it can get confusing and... It's easy in times like that when we don't understand something to uh, we don't really need it today anyway. We don't live under the law. We live under grace. We're right. Well, just consider that as we go through and the part of where the law, what the law has in our life, the covenant that was given to Israel. So just to explain a little bit when we're talking about the law, there are three parts to it. There are three parts when we consider and when we read what the, the law and about it in Scripture. There is the moral law. This is commonly seen in the Ten Commandments and it's stating or declaring to us right and wrong. Right and wrong. Such as don't murder, don't covet, honour the Lord your God. Secondly, there's a section that has to do with ceremonial law. This is the sacrificial system and all that is involved in it. This is for the covering of their sin. It wasn't for the forgiveness, but they, this is all to do for a covering for their sin. There's also the civil law. This is to do with the day-to-day -day civil or civic laws of them as a nation and as communities, how they were to, to act. But let's go in a, a little bit deeper. We're going to go back. We just went one, two, three. Now we're going to go three, two, one intentionally so explaining it a little bit further the civil law was unique for Israel now you have to understand the law was given and it was given to end it was given with an end time in place and that was when the Messiah would come and fulfill his part of the law and that being Christ on the cross which we've already been reminded of so the civil law was unique for Israel as a nation. There were, there were laws uniquely for them as a nation up to the time of the sacrifice of Christ. It's not transferable, but yet there are principles and laws in there that we can apply and live with as a nation and as individuals and as homes. There are good principles in there because they are of God. Christ lived these with honour and respect to perfection in his life. Secondly, remember there was the ceremonial law. These were for Israel 
and for all of mankind. If we remember, the part of the covenant was that God chose Israel. He asked if they would be his people, come and be my people. Is He wanted them to be his people to declare, to share God to the world. It wasn't just for them. If you remember, there were the proselyte system. So it was for the Israelites to share and to, for proselytes, for those outside of Israel, those non-Jews, the Gentiles, who could come in and be a part of that covenant, that, that um, ceremonial um, laws, the system. Christ, this is the part that Christ fulfilled to perfection on the cross. Here's the ultimate sacrifice. Here's the complete sacrifice for our sin. You'll read that through Ephesians, in Galatians, and particularly, that's what all of the book of Hebrews is about, the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ as our saviour. The only one who could forgive our sin is God, and he did it. Before the old covenant, that was a covering. It was a covering. But it was what God instituted, and they were to look forward to the coming Messiah. Now to go to the one I spoke of first, the moral law. The moral law is for all of humanity. It is for all of humanity. It's not in the Ten Commandments, as we find it within the Mosaic law, but the moral law of God, understand the words that I'm saying, the moral law of God is for all of mankind. Never at one time has God said, it's okay, mate, you can commit adultery this time. Never at one time has he said, it's okay, mate, you can go and steal. Before he called Israel to be his people, the moral law, the guidance for right and wrong, as we more commonly know it from and reference it from, the Ten Commandments, is of God. It reflects God's character and who he is and the standard by which we are to live. So it was not just a Jewish law under the Mosaic Covenant, but Christ exemplified this moral law. That's why we read that he was sinless. He did not do what was wrong. He only ever did what was right. So as we... Um, as Emma pops up now, the Ten Commandments, I want to just say again, we know, may not be under that whole covenant in that part of it, but which of these does God not still command for us today, call us to? Now, if you think that there are no commandments and we are not under the law now, that is correct. That's within the covenant system. But go to, for example, Ephesians 4.1. That is a commandment about how we are to pursue God. But look at these here. The first one, you shall have no other gods before us, before me, sorry. God is to be the priority. He is to be God in our lives. That was the same for Cain and Abel when they presented their sacrifice. Do you remember what was the problem with Cain? He wanted to approach God and do life his own way. God rejected him. He got angry. And his anger carried out in, in jealousy towards Abel, and he killed him. There is only one God, no matter who we are, whether we're saved or not, he is still the one God, and God will not accept other gods. That's why the second one is, you are not to make idols. 
Nothing is to come before, between us and God. Back in, this, in the church at Ephesus, what was coming between them and God? Genealogies. The finding out a hint of great Aunt Bertha might have been the, the daughter of this great person, so therefore I'm, I'm someone of nobility or I'm someone to be counted. No, that was a diversion. That, that's where their passion and their heart was. It was a bit like an idol. That's what their heart was for. There were myths that they were basing stuff on, old wives' tales. They were distracted. The third one, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, for many years, I thought it meant just to use God's name as a swear word, like OMG or something like that. But you know it's not. It's a little bit more than that. God's name in vain here is a metaphorical... It's, it's the way I have such as Jethro takes the kids to camp last week. Well, it's actually the mucker school. But he takes kids to, school, to camp and he says, we're going off, there's going to be other schools there. I don't want you to dishonour the name of the school. It's the same way. So in whatever we do, our conduct, our words, is all meant to represent and honour the name of God. It is to honour the name of God. Now, was that just... For the Israelites? Was that just for before them? Or is it just for now? No, it's for all of mankind through all of our existence. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's still relevant for today. You'll read in the New Testament in Hebrews 13. Don't forsake the gathering together. We're encouraged to keep God as a priority and enjoy the meeting together, enjoy the body. Don't steal, it's still there today. So it's not that we are under it in the sense of the Mosaic Covenant, understand that, it's not what I'm saying. But these are still God's directives and commands for all of mankind today. And this is the heart of what the whole lot of what was about, the Mosaic Covenant. And that's what, one of the things that was that people were misguided in the time of Christ through the early church. People were fixated on the ceremonial part, the do's and the don'ts. You can't pick up your bed and carry it because you got healed and the healer told you you could. You can't heal on a Sunday or on a Sabbath. They were fixated on the do's and don'ts. And that's what was happening here in Ephesus. They were wanting to instruct, thinking that's what was still to be. And if you remember, if you've ever read, as you've read through the Acts, you would have heard about Paul withstanding Peter because he knew better, but he sided with those who, who were being legalistic, those who were distracted and weren't following God. <clears throat> so it was very common that that's what would happening would happen. They. Focus on the ceremonial, the do's and don'ts, not understanding. And that's what we read about in verse 7. The people here who are getting up of their own initiative, not led of God, not led by the leaders of the church, and they were endeavouring to speak on the law about something they had no idea, thinking that they were still under the ceremonial sacrificial system and all the restrictions with it. And it wasn't just what God had given. There were also things that were added to it. But let's continue on. So if the law has these parts and some of it, the principles of it are still for us today, what is the purpose of the law? As we, when we read it through in Scripture, 
when we read through in Romans, in Timothy, Galatians, what is the purpose of the law? Well, the purpose of the law is to give mankind a clear vision of one's natural spiritual state and the prevalence of sin in their life. We read that in chapter 7 in Romans. That's to bear, just to open your heart, just to sink that knife in and just to show bear of how bad you are, how bad I am as a sinner. Now, if I had shorts on today, I would... I have a testimony on my leg, inside both my knees. I did something that I know better I, when I did it. Yesterday I thought I shouldn't be doing this, but I did it. I was doing a lot of welding and I swapped from long pants to shorts. And so la, down here, I am quite red. Now you can't even feel it, but I can feel as I stand here, my trousers are rubbing on it. There's that testimony of my act, the reality of what's happening in me. That's what God's intention is, similar to that with sin. That's why he gave the law. It was to bear, uh, to, to just to lay bare our sin, the reality of who we are and what, what we are before, who we are before our holy God. So let's go back. We're going to go to Romans chapter 3, 4 and 5 and just read single verses in each of them. And they're just going to give us a bit better understanding of what the law, the purpose of the law is. So the first one is Romans 3.20. And it says, Romans 3.20, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. But the last bit, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So we didn't just read it before in chapter 7, we're reading it again. The purpose of it is, to show and understand the knowledge of, of sin. If you remember when Jesus was talking about these sort of things, one of the things he said was, the thought is as wrong as the act. If you think, mate, about that woman, you've committed adultery, you're guilty. So the, the law, the purpose of it, is that you would have the knowledge of sin that you would have a true vision for what sin is, that you would see that you are a sinner in a desperate state. Romans chapter 4 and 15. Romans 4.15, it says, For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. So apart from the knowledge of God's holiness and one's wretched fin sinful shortfall, you wouldn't know your gross violation before him. You wouldn't know your gross sinful violation if you didn't have truth to compare it to. And that's what he's saying here in Romans 15. We needed the law. We needed God and his standard to show us up for who we are. Romans 5.13. Romans 5.13, it says, For until the... For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there is no law. So what's saying here? The law identifies and defines sin. The truth. When I say the law here, think of it as in the truth and the reality of who God is. It reveals the, and defines sin for what it is. 
verse 20 in Romans 5, it says, The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where, the re- where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. But grace abounded all the more. The law came or was given so that we would have a greater awareness of our sinfulness. It is so important that we know God, that we know who he is, that we don't get distracted about what's happening around us, but God is our priority. That we look at this example here in 1 Timothy and understand what's happening here. And I don't know about you, but I can quite easily get distracted about different things. Several years ago, I signed up up for Ancestry.com. I think for about three or four months, almost every night, I spent searching stuff. That's good to find out who, who your ancestors were and a bit about your family history. But yet it became too much of a distraction. That's what my, a lot of my spare time thinking was about. That was what I was about. But you know what I used to do in the evenings? I used to go into the office. I used to open up the Bible and I'd read it and I'd study it and I'd pray and keep churning over it. So what happened? I was just like those people in Ephesus. I got distracted. There's nothing wrong with knowing your heritage. It's good to have a, have a good foundation in your family roots. But when it becomes a priority like happened here, in the example of the Ephesians, it's wrong. So in chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, when we read before, as we just read through those 3, 4 and 5, the law reveals sin in Romans uh, chapter 7, verse 7. The law makes sin roar in me. The law reveals my sinful state. The law is holy. Just because it reveals sin, it's not bad. It is good that it does that because it shows me for who I am. It shows me for who, who I am. So as I said earlier, this isn't just a thing unique to Ephesus. It was a common thing around the time of Christ. It's one of the points of conflict that the Pharisees and the different leaders, religious leaders had with him. Why are you doing that on the Sabbath? Why are you doing this? Which is the greatest commandment? And even in the early church, it was common that people got distracted. They got distracted and they focused on the doing the part of the ceremonial law instead of the moral. They were action or behavioural modifiers, not mind and heart. What they were about was they were behaviour modifiers, not the mind and heart. And that's where God's focus is. God works through the mind to the heart and that causes the change on the outward. So, when we read through from 6 to um, 1 Timothy 6, sorry, 1, 6 to 11, we've seen that men had strayed from God. They were in a fruitless state. The next slide, thanks, Sam. But I want you to mainly focus on verse 8. Verse 8 in 1, 1 Timothy 1. It says, But we know that the law is good if it is used correctly. 
And as you've thought, as you've remembered, as I've spoken, through from the Gospels, through Acts, and into the Epistles, it was very common that people didn't grasp or, or understand that the Messiah had come, that they'd never, they didn't have to keep on fulfilling the ceremonial law for a covering for their sin. The law is good when it is used correctly. Christ fulfilled the ceremonial law. The principles of the Ten Commandments, that part of the law is still relevant for us. We still need that visual, that awareness of who God is, the reality of God's character, the reality of who God is. We know it is good because that the law is good because it comes from God. We know it is good because we've just read it three times that the law is good, that it is holy. The moral law is still necessary to bring mankind to repentance. If we don't know a holy or understand that there is a holy and righteous God, what have we got to turn to? There is nothing to compare our ways to. There is nothing to compare ourselves to that we are sinners, that will reveal that we are sinners before a holy and righteous God. Because God is not about, he's not the main focus on the do's and the don'ts. He is about repentance of, from sin through faith in the sufficient saving act of Jesus Christ. In verses 9 to 11, there is a great benefit for those who belong to God because we have seen the list there. We've seen who we truly are that we are sinners before an almighty God. The law is good. It is God's tool to reveal sin, our sinfulness before an almighty, holy and righteous God. You and I are mentioned right there in verses 9 and 10. We can't escape it whether we want to or not. But the great thing is in verse 11, it talks about the hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is hope. Our focus needs to be, as we reminded in verse 17, where it says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. So understand that God is eternally consistent. That the moral law of God, the moral standard of God, didn't, doesn't just in, exist in the Mosaic Covenant. It, listed, it existed before it exists during and exists afterwards because it is God. It is the truth of who God is, that he is our redeemer, our saviour. And he wants to bear our sin, bear our heart for what it truly is, lay it out and cause that agony so that we would look to him, we see his holiness, and that our faith would be in him. We would know, verse 11, that it's the glorious gospel of the blessed God. That's where our hope is. And then our focus can be, just like Paul, God had Paul right there in verse 17, now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is to be our heart cry. This is to be our heart cry. And it's good that God bears our sin out to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. God, we know that we're not under the old covenant for that was a, a time that finished with you, Christ, when you died on the cross. But yet, 
your moral standard, the revelation of who you are, Lord, it, it bears our sin. It lays it out there. And Lord, we, we thank you for what you have done. Lord, it's unpainful when, our, when you make known our sin and, that we, and our need of repentance. But yet, God, I thank you for it. Thank you that you are our God. You always have our best interest at heart. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that you love the Ephesians, that you didn't leave them to go off into error and to, and to stay there, but you revealed your truth. God, thank you that we have your word and thank you that we have you in us to guide us. Amen. Thank you.